As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Michael Saka. Today we talk with Leslie Bradshaw, the managing partner at Made by Many New York. Um, so, Joelle, what was kind of your big takeaway from this conversation? Um, I just loved how passionate she was about getting out there and getting real data, whether it's quantitative or qualitative. And there's really never, you know, the right time. It's never too early or too late to start asking your customers important questions. And she makes it really easy for you. You know, if all you have is a pencil and paper, that's enough. So I thought that was really cool. Um, But I was actually curious about your perspective on uh, her take on becoming a thought leader by producing content. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's probably the way that everyone 
today becomes a thought leader. Um, um, it's true. I mean, that that's even if you're not the best, um, one way to, to show that you have a comprehension of the subject is just to start writing about it. And um, and as people respond to you, that's how I've gotten, you know, asked to speak at conferences and it works. So um, her advice there was spot on and um, she's probably done it better than most. Awesome. Let's get into the episode. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. Go to CodeShip.com slash RocketShip to get 20% off three months. We'd also like to thank Envision App. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. Go to Envision App forward slash RocketShip to get the starter plan free for 90 days. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash rocketship to start sending emails that convert. So Made by Many is a product innovation studio. And what we do is build digital products for established brands. So thinking about a lot of the best-in-class methods that have come out of the startup and technology world, agile and lean development, we bring those methods into companies who typically don't have the um, structure to innovate, but Uh, very much need to for their business, whether they're in retail and trying to figure out mobile or whether they're in media and trying to figure out just content distribution and consumption patterns. And so it's kind of a a nice hybrid between uh, a typical agency model with some of the best of startup and, you know, technology company model. So you are doing some interesting stuff with data-driven insights for these very large companies. Um, Tell us a little bit about what that looks like um, or or what your process is when you approach a a new client? So there's two types of data when it comes to customer insights and one is qualitative and one's quantitative. And I would say that the best thing that a startup can do at the early stage of, of their idea is to do some qualitative research around the concept. And oftentimes we go to friends or family or, you know, kind of, Coworkers, and you might bounce a few things off. I and mean, what you'll do there is you'll definitely get a sample bias, you know, right? People mm-hmm. want to see you do well. So they say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Or, oh, yeah, I totally would use that. And what I would challenge people to do is to step outside of that and actually look for people inside the demographic or audience area that you are trying to serve, but that you've never met before. And, you know, the best way to do this is source it through your Facebook page and just say, Hey, I'm looking for uh, single mothers between the ages of 25 and 40. And, you know, I'm looking for people that live in Ohio and, you know, people always can kind of refer you friend of a friend. And that's a great way to get, I would say at least 10 to 20 kind of initial kind of testers for whatever project you're working on. Mm -hmm. And, and the other thing I would say early stage is it's, it's never too early to start prototyping the idea in digestible, very low fidelity ways. And, and one can just be as simple as sketching the idea on a piece of paper and testing it that way. That that's a paper prototype, right? Mm -hmm. It saves you on the design, it saves you on coding and you really start getting a sense of trying to articulate the feature you don't want to put all the features of the product in one go on one piece of paper, but maybe you have two or three features you're thinking about, create three different prototypes and put it in front of your audience, you know, your, your 10 to 20 testers. And each time 
come at it with a hypothesis of what you think people will do, but be open and be ready for the evidence to say otherwise. And after you get that feedback, you make the adjustments to the prototype and go to the next level of fidelity. And, you know, there's some great products out there. One in particular for mobile apps is called Flinto. Uh, and then there's another one also called Marvel app. And, and these are ones where you don't even need to put any code base in, but you just need to have some graphics and some designs and it, it creates the sense of clicking through and showing user intention. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is to test early and test often. And I'm saying, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks into even forming your company to start getting that feedback because one of the biggest mistakes that startups make, including myself and one of the software companies I helped build a, a, a year or two ago, is that you hold on to the idea for a very long time, whether you want to keep it in stealth or you want to perfect the actual product and deploy it into the actual app store. And you do that at the cost of getting insights that will actually influence the product. And you also it's a very high risk proposition because you're investing a lot of money in a direction that may or may not work. Mm -hmm. And by doing very small batches and, and kind of iterating very rapidly, it allows you to mitigate that risk and to kind of fine, fine tune your, your product before um, it goes too far in one direction. Yeah. That's actually something that I have some experience with. Um, Matt and I built Hookfeed over the past year or so, and we spent probably six months really in a hole just building and guessing what people wanted. Um, and once we finally launched, it was like, finally, we weren't guessing anymore. We got real feedback that had some really tangible changes to the product. And I know that that's just a mistake that almost everybody makes in the beginning because it's so much easier and a hell of a lot more fun to build your way out of a problem than actually talking to people. Right. And it's so much more cost effective to, in fact, get the, get that feedback early because then you can actually have budget left. Let's say, you know, you raise some money and, um, you know, if you spend it all in one direction and then you find that your, your run rate is, is high, your runway is, is, is done and you don't have the traction that you need to raise more money. It's just, you know, you've really cut off all your lifelines. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So how often are you uh, surprised by these findings in this early beta process? I would say 10 out of 10 times. Okay. Uh, I was actually talking to a colleague this morning. She's doing some testing for one of our retail clients. And she said, you know, I really liked this particular, you know, one of the four concepts. I really liked it and it tested horribly, hmm. but she's not the target audience. Right. And right. she is, you know, of a different kind of educational and um, kind of income background than the core audience as a client. And that is also something to watch for is just because you yourself aren't interested or don't like it doesn't mean, or, or if you like it, um, doesn't mean that the end user will. And, and I think sometimes we solve problems that we, that we have, and, and that certainly is a great place to start with an idea. But as an idea evolves, you may find that it either has unintended opportunities or that you aren't necessarily the perfect customer, perfect client for the product. And in which case, your, your own bias as a scientist, right? You, it's very it's impossible to be objective in something that you have, you know, both a financial and probably an emotional investment in as a startup founder. So it's really important to get that outside perspective and outside your own lens and outside your own kind of inner circle kind of friends and family lens. So you're doing a lot of 
testing in like the retail space. Um, can you tell us about some of the the methods that you're using um, to to test early before they even start coding? Right. Um, I'm apologizing in advance for some of the uh, the construction in the background. Uh, we have some remodeling going on upstairs, but. Uh, some of the testing, you know, it's, it's nothing different, whether it's retail or whether it's, um, you know, consumer packaged goods or e-commerce. I mean, the first place to start is with a piece of paper and to, if you'll say you have four or five different features you're thinking about for a particular product or application, you know, to take each feature and make it a discrete idea on a separate piece of paper. And, you know, in the case of a mobile app, you'd kind of create one uh, one or two little mobile screens, you'd write probably one sentence about what that thing does, and then you try to illustrate it. And it's nice to have a bit of a design background and have someone be able to bring it to life that way, but it, it isn't a necessity. It isn't. This isn't something where you're trying to get a high-fidelity expression of the idea. You're trying to get it very rough. And once you, you move from that, uh, Keynote is actually a great uh, tool to use to prototype uh, within the the mac software kind of suite and then you know there's other things like flinto and um, a few others i think i mentioned earlier i'm happy to pass some links on afterwards and and those all are you know the the level of fidelity increases kind of each time and the level of investment increases each time as far as time and design and then eventually you might want to do an actual kind of html css click through Uh, but each time what you're trying to do is measure intent and you're trying to gauge actual uh, viability and, and interest because people will typically um, skew towards being friendly and being nice and saying, yeah, oh, this is neat. Yeah, sure, I guess I'd use it. But um, trying to see how they would actually use it. Some of the tools like Keynote or like Flinto allow you to kind of see how people click on things and, and where they go and where they get lost or where they understand or don't understand something. Um, it's incredibly important. And when, when it comes to retail, when it comes to some of these more physical, physically oriented second screen experiences, you can go into people's homes and you can do shop alongs and kind of watch people as they actually uh, are, as opposed to how they might describe their shopping experience, you know, just watch how they shop, you know, and kind of be able to uncover things that otherwise wouldn't have been something that they would think descriptively. A great example of this, I'm with uh, two women that are probably in their thirties and they're both professional kind of executive assistants. And they mentioned that at lunchtime, they only have a, you know, a sliver of time. They like to shop. Sometimes they go, they stand in line, they might get to try something on, but they only, they only have so much time and they need to get back to the office, but the line's too long to make a purchase. So they take photos of their clothing, get back to their desk and then make a purchase. So when you think about like how could how could that retailer bridge that experience so that if you only have a you know a sliver of time, you know, is there a way to capture the barcode, make it easier to find it online as opposed to trying to match up photos from your phone to the actual website. So things like that. So one of the things I've found um, is that when you have conversations with people early on about features or even just a product idea in general. Um, you get a lot of feedback like, oh, that's cool. I would do this. I would use that. And they'll tell you that they would do things, but it's not until you actually bring up, would you pay for this? That the conversation changes to, is it something valuable enough to pay for? And I'm curious if you have any of those conversations um, early on, or if it's really just about 
the product itself? I think that's a great threshold question. And it's one that I've, you know, there's a lot of smoke test type things that you can run. We ran one for a very large client of ours with just a landing page about, uh, and we AB tested, uh, not only would you pay for this, but what pricing scheme would you pay? Right, yeah. What's this worth to you? Yeah. What's it worth to you? And I think that there's some really light ways to go about that. And certainly, you know, different ways you can set up just a single page landing experience and, um, you know, have some varieties of the copy that, that introduces the idea of varieties, um, of different pricing models and taking people's credit card. Is that ultimately, because again, you can say whatever you'd like to say, but when push comes to shove, when rubber hits the road, are you actually putting the money down? And that, um, that kind of validation is really the only, that is as close, if not, you know, as, as close as you can possibly get to, to that type of validation. So yes, I think that's a great, great point to call out. Uh, so you mentioned some of the qualitative things you look for, um, behavioral things, walking through sketches and prototypes, um, with someone more established, um, some of these bigger brands, what are some of the qualitative things you're looking for? I'm sorry, the quantitative, Uh, the quantitative things. Well, you know, there's again, kind of thinking about uh, a pyramid um, or even, I guess, I guess we can kind of think of it um, building almost as like an upside down pyramid. You kind of start really small, right? You're only qualitatively talking to let's say 50 people at most over the course of a few weeks, prototyping, testing, and then refining. And maybe you start with a hundred sketches and then you narrow it down, narrow it down. And the way we narrow it down qualitatively is, you know, it's a little bit art, a little bit science, but gosh, everybody didn't get this one or oh, some people really like this one. Some people didn't. Uh, everybody kind of liked, you know, everybody kind of sort of liked or understood this, but didn't. And so after a while you kind of filter it through. Now, once you have those, you know, really focusing in on developing one or two ideas and then bringing it into a larger beta group. And that's when you start getting a more um, statistically significant data set. And one could argue, you know, is it at 100? Is it at 1,000? At what point, you know, and it, the metrics really depends on what the audience is. You know, if the potential client base are, you know, millions and millions of people, you know, having only a hundred people validate or invalidate something might not be large enough um, to really have a trend be uncovered. But in the case of, um, you know, some of our retail clients, you know, getting up to about a thousand people eventually gives us enough uh, variance and enough insight uh, to whether or not to pursue something or go in a particular direction. So I think it's, Quantitatively, you can get very large data sets when you have something up and running and you're already established. You know, they're not a client, but you think about Target, right? They, uh, they rolled out this app called Cartwheel. And they, uh, they partnered with a lot of their existing vendors and they offered some really interesting kind of couponing and bundled couponing. And you know, between their existing audience, all the marketing channels they have with email, with in-store signage, and the ability to also do paid advertising, you know, they were able to get a few million people on the system pretty quickly, and and then from there be able to evaluate and make iterations within that um, particular user base. If you're a startup, getting to millions of users is usually cost prohibitive. So I would say the best thing that you can do is just keep doing small batches, and you know go from 50 to 100, 100 to a couple hundred, and at each point have some sort of threshold that you agree on with your team that if enough people like or don't like something, you know, we will move forward or not. Yeah, very cool. Um, so you spent uh, six years building one of the earliest 
and content marketing data visualization uh, agencies, uh, just three. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, what you do to generate new business. Because um, I feel like the agency or a product, it's something that we're constantly working on. And I was wondering if you had any tips for companies who are looking to acquire um, larger clients. Yeah, it's certainly um, something that but having run a creative agency whose product is also content marketing, uh, it, it was sort of a, a no-brainer that we would market ourselves by, you guessed it, using content. <laughs> um, that being said, I think actually in just coming back from HubSpot's user conference at um, Inbound 2014 mm. up in Boston, it was all about inbound leads. It was all about how to generate the most um, kind of bang or most qualified group of of leads that also, you know, are cost effective and, and, and some of the things that were emerging, the number one way is actually blogging. And there were a lot of surveys done. There were probably about 10,000 people in attendance and there were about 3,600 people surveyed small to medium sized businesses. So probably in the startup mode as well as just people who are going to remain SMBs and, and blogging was the number one way. And that helped with SEO It helped kind of establish thought leadership and credibility in a particular space. Um, and it also helped define and describe kind of the ecosystem in which the product resides. So first and foremost, if you you know don't have a lot of time and you can only really put it towards something, especially if you don't have a lot of outside resources, design or otherwise, blogging is something that you know everybody can do. Uh, the second thing to do and and a big thing that we did, at just three was, you know, in the content marketing space, uh, we oftentimes took on a new technology or a new, um, kind of a new platform and, and figured it out and did a little bit of experimentation before a client would be willing to pay for, for that service. Mm -hmm. And certainly something we do here at made by many, we've got a really great project called hackball. And if you go to our side projects, uh, link off of the main website made by many, you can see all of the projects that we've been doing on the side. And with Hackball, it's, it's a connected device. It responds to, uh, programming within the, you know, the interface on the iPhone and you can program other games through it. And, and then the ball itself moves with different colors and speeds based on commands that you're giving. That sounds and amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it was really fun for our team because we had to think about 3D printing. We had to think about a physical piece of hardware. We had to think about how it reacted and interfaced with software and then how that software experience felt and looked on the phone and then what the back end looked like in terms of the database powering and the kind of business logic powering the system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether it be something as forward thinking as as the kind of connected device space is what we did with Hackaball or in the case of Jeff's three, you know, we had never done any video production until 2010 when we released the state of the internet. And it was a video about, you guessed it, the internet <laughs> and it went viral on the internet. So there was real, no, no, um, surprises there. And yeah. we used a lot of really great motion graphics and data. And we ended up getting a call from Google and their team asked us to do a couple different videos. And that was, our proof of concept that, Hey, we could put together the talent that we needed to animate and, and produce and write the script and all of that. So, uh, I would say that it's a good opportunity to prove out a concept, to do a little bit of your own testing and then to release it out into the world without having a client, um, that you need to have signing off or, um, in the case of a startup, 
I think it's a good chance to probably showcase some of the great features. You know, if you're uh, a B2B company and you've got some sort of really interesting reporting structure, you know, release some of your reports and what are those, what are those analytics look like? Or if it is something that collects and um, parses things and, you know, put it against a really cool data set and say, Hey, you know, look at the power of our system, what we did with the census data, or, um, you know, we went, on Twitter during the Oscars and, you know, here's some of the insights that we uncovered. So I think it's a good chance to demonstrate the value of what you do. Um, and with content marketing too, it's, it's always important to tell a bigger story. It's about, it's not really going to be directly about, Oh, you know, this is our startup and our founders and our team and we're awesome. It's really going to be more about educating the end user, making them smarter, even entertaining them at some level. So things that do give people the state of, or the evolution of, Uh, there's some technical topics out there that certainly could use some layman's terms around them, whether it be, uh, you know, just database management or big data, or, you know, some of these concepts are ones that can be tackled with, uh, content and content series. So any ecosystem in which you occupy, it's really important for you to develop some thought leadership through some blogging, through some visual content and, and to continue to contribute. And one last piece I would also say, it's really important to, you know, of course, build the SEO and the kind of prominence around your own brand and, and your own site, but fish where the fish are, you know, if you've got a particular audience that you need to reach, expecting them to find your blog through Googling or through Twitter, you know, there's certainly some bank shots that can be made, but to the extent that you can actually guest post or, or get placements on those sites that, you know, your potential customers are reading, that's uh, incredibly valuable. What do you do to keep the the content fresh or, or to keep yourself even motivated to continue to create content in that space? I think getting some success on uh, having some points on the board always feels good. I think when people need a positive reinforcement loop that, hey, what we're doing is working. Um, so I would say that success begets more success and it, and it gives you a reason to keep going. Cause if you're a startup, chances are you've got what you're wearing a couple more hats and, uh, you've got a, a lean team. And if something's not working, you're thinking to yourself, you know, why am I going to put my time and energy towards this? So it's, I think it's important to do some things and to find some early success. And if you're not finding success to recalibrate and to not double down in the wrong direction, again, just like we were talking about with user testing, content is also a form of user testing. And if, you know, you're not getting pickup, if you're, you know, people aren't writing about you or tweeting or sharing or liking, you know, that that's a kind of voting with their eyeballs kind of uh, feedback data point that you should be taking into account. And then as far as just staying inspired, I think uh, one of my favorite things to do is look at some of the blogs and, and sites and the content creation coming out of companies who do have a a regular drumbeat. And again, I think this is because it's core to their business, but companies like HubSpot, you know, they have an incredible blog where they have um, not only their own in-house team writing, but they have some freelance writers and some guest posters. And if you do have the budget and you don't, sometimes people just don't have the time to write and don't do it. But if you do have even just a few hundred bucks, you can be getting some great quality um, guest posters in and using services like NewsCred and Contently and Visually. You know, those are all uh, companies that are content creators and and help source and staff that kind of creation. Um, so that's certainly a thing to be thinking about. 
Awesome. Yeah. Um, so where do we keep up with you and Made by Many online? Well, Made by Many, M-A-D-E-B-Y-M-A-N-Y.com is our website and we also have that twitter handle and then my twitter handle is at leslie bradshaw and you can reach me just by tweeting awesome thank you so much thanks so much yeah thanks for having me good luck everyone thanks for listening to this episode of the rocket ship podcast if you enjoyed it we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website check them out rocketship.fm and while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today. He made it with his own hands. He made it for family and friends. How does madness feel? Because God knows it's real. Thank you.